Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue uh, in the study we're doing in the book of Matthew, but ultimately through the New Testament. And we've been uh, breaking through the New Testament a, a chapter at a time. And we started in the book of Matthew. We're going to go through it chronologically. I, I mean, uh, just the way it's placed, it really wouldn't be chronologically because the letters were written at different times. But we'll do it the way it pops up in your book. And uh, we've made good progress. And it took us six months and a couple of weeks to get through 80, uh, 28 chapters. We're in the 28th chapter today of the book of Matthew. But before I read that to you, I just wanted to take a minute, and because there's been something about the last chapter that I've been thinking about all week, and uh, I just thought I'd throw it in there as an extra bonus, and uh, no extra charge for this at all, um, all covered in the price of admission. There's uh, the little scripture that we talked about in Matthew 27 last week, and I touched on a little bit in verse 52, where it says, the tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died there were raised to life. And that's a fascinating verse, isn't it? Because um, I don't think it gets all that much press. And uh, it seems like a pretty significant event to me. And um, I think I mentioned last week that it ties in to the fulfillment of the feast and that um, Jesus will fulfill all seven of the feasts that are observed by the Jews every year and, and are commanded to observe. And that uh, he's fulfilled the, the, first, the first four have been fulfilled. And that in, in this one weekend, in, in this particular chapter, um, he fulfills three, which is Passover and unleavened bread and early first fruits. And then one more has already been fulfilled. It's the fourth one, which is Pentecost. And that um, this third one, which is early first fruits, because Pentecost is called first fruits, these are harvest feasts. And the very first one is the very, very early, earliest harvest of crops that they would celebrate. Pentecost is the next harvest. It's, it's bigger than early first fruits, but it's not the big one. And at the end of the summer season is the big harvest. And we're between Pentecost, the second of those harvests, and the big harvest in, in the calendar of the feast. And, and the next harvest is called trumpets. And uh, at trumpet sound, and the Bible says at trumpet sound that what happens is that there'll be two in a field and one will stop and go to worship at trumpet sound and the other one will keep working. But the, the deal is that that's when we're, we're on the last deal. Harvest is over and we're going to be caught up to the Lord, however that looks and however that ends up in the end. But anyway, this third little early first fruit festival uh, is ultimately fulfilled in the first harvest being Christ. And with him, this group of holy people, how many of it was, came up as part of this early, as a symbol of this early harvest. All right, in Pentecost, the symbol of the harvest is 3,000 added when Peter preaches. It's a bigger harvest, but it's not the big harvest. And now everybody that's been saved since that point in time is, is going to be in that last harvest. All right? But I, I, I just was thinking about this, and I'm not saying absolutely that this is what happened, but I think this is pretty interesting. All right? So let me read you the verse of why I tell you. I think this is interesting, and you can go and look at them later. So you may want to write down these addresses, because I think they're worth looking at later. Now, Abraham, you guys all know who Abraham is, right? He purchased a field in Canaan near Mamre, and it was very important for him to get this field, and he purchased this field to act as and to serve as a burial site for his family. All right? So, so th this is happening in their scripture for it. Genesis 49 uh, 22 and 32. Uh, he, he, this is what, we're, we're going now, and we're up into the spot um, where uh, Jacob is is 
wants to be buried there. So, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But listen to who's into the family plot so far, because Jacob tells us in this, in this plot, all right? Genesis 49, 29 through 32, if you want to look at it later. Genesis 49, 29 through 32. Then he gave them these instructions. This is Jacob. I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite along with the field. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were were bought from the Hittite. So some pretty famous people are in this particular tomb all right and it's very important to jacob he said make sure i end up in that tomb he makes them swear an oath he wants in that tomb all right and um ultimately joseph fulfills that uh he's uh, jacob dies in egypt uh, and he's there for a little while but joseph takes him he gets permission to go and he takes him and he puts him in this tomb uh, genesis 50 verses 4 and 5 you can look at this later when the days of mourning had passed joseph said to pharaoh's court If I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, my father made me swear an oath and said, I am about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go up and bury my father, and then I will return. So he goes, takes care of it. Now, when Joseph is dying, some time period later, he makes the sons of Israel promise to take his bones to the same cave. He makes them promise. Genesis 50:26. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. And Moses, make sure, at the, this, is, this is how important it is. You would think that they're in a hurry when they get out of here. Uh, but Moses, make sure that they take Joseph's bones with him. All right? Exodus 13:19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place and he ends up there in that same tomb moses gets in there all right now here's what i think is interesting there's a lot of patriarchs in this cave at this point right some pretty important folks and and here's what you may want to go do later because this is what i did if you look on a map of where that tomb is located it's right where jesus is crucified same within the same little area i wonder this is my the way i think Do you think that they had an idea of what was going to happen and they wanted to be there for that little group? Because what group of holy people is it? I think that's a pretty good uh, set of people to maybe included in that group. And and maybe they just happened to be around when these things happened. But see, to me, that stuff fascinates me. You see these things and you think, because these guys were like, make sure I end up there. Don't don't leave me here. I want to be there. And... and, uh, I, I think they, they might have been aware of something coming up. Anyway, I just tossed that out to you for your consideration, and uh, you can think about You can chew on that if you want to, or you can just forget everything I've just said. Now, <laughs> as the mindless ramblings of someone who should just move along, Matthew 28 is the last chapter in the book of Matthew, and uh, at the end of Matthew 27, Jesus had been placed into the tomb, and guards have been put on the tomb. This is the rest of the events. Uh, I'm going to read it to you from verses 1 through 20. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Because I think that would be pretty impressive, don't you? Earthquake, angel sitting on the stone. They fainted. But, and we've gone over this, right? Whenever an angel comes onto the scene, he didn't in this case, but almost every case, you know what the angel says? Don't be afraid. Do you know why? Apparently they're pretty fearful looking. All right? Because they always make that announcement. Unless, of course, they want you to faint away dead because you've been guarding the tomb of the Savior. And in this case, they just sit there and you, you pass out. And when you wake up, you run away fast. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. He didn't hear him say that to the guards. <laughs> for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, these guys are never done planning, are they? They can't. Now they're like, oy vey. <laughs> That's what I'm getting from the text. Oy vey. I thought we were done with this guy. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If the report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay, so we have the resurrection. Now, there were so many witnesses to the resurrection that even when the Jewish leaders try to get this rumor started, it doesn't stick. It didn't stick. And um, there's at least ten appearances that Christ makes uh, to different folks uh, in the Scripture. I didn't list all the references, but I, did, uh, I do have this verse from you uh, from the Apostle Paul who records most of the encounters that Jesus has. It's found in 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to go and look later, verses 3 through 8. He says this, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried... And that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Jesus makes a lot of post-resurrection appearances. uh, And many people, many people, saw him, that he was alive, that he had defeated death, that he had risen again. This is one of those facts that tries to get challenged. People always go, well, that didn't really happen, and they buy into 
those alternate theories. The disciples came and stole the body away. They didn't. Or that Jesus wasn't really dead. He was. Um, and, And one of the best proofs that we have of that is what happens to the disciples. See, because something changes them from this group of men who had run away and scattered who had gotten back together, and, and well, the women had been more brave, they hung out, but they all ended up hiding in this house. And something gets them out of the house and causes them to get back out in the streets eventually and preach the gospel boldly. In the very places where Jesus had been uh, arrested and crucified, they're back there. Something happens. What happened? Jesus, they saw him. And all of a sudden, it all made sense. All this stuff, all the fighting, all the... All the, the squibbling and the stuff that they didn't get and they keep trying to get them, they finally get it, most of it. Because when we get to the book of Acts, there's a great, I love it in the book of Acts, because I keep telling you, they keep want, in the book of Acts, when he, find, he finally is getting ready to ascend and, and their question is, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? Don't you love that? They could never, they couldn't get past that paradigm. And, and he's just like, yeah, soon. Uh, and um, so, so something happened. And what happened was they saw Jesus. And they were empowered by the Holy Spirit and everything changed from that point. But the, the, the resurrection is, is one of the most testified to events that there is. So when people go after it and attack it, they, they don't know. Because we have it not only documented in the scriptures in other places as well. And you have, you have eyewitness testimony. Paul was saying that these, you can go talk to most of these guys who are still alive. You can go ask them at the time that he wrote. Now, obviously they're not alive any longer. But uh, at the time... They were alive. And so uh, this, this thing happened. Now, I, I like his resurrection body was, was obviously very cool because it was free from the limitations that we still have on our natural bodies um, because he could do stuff that we couldn't do. Like um, in, in John twenty nineteen, it says he appeared to them in a locked room. Uh, he could just go right into the room. That's pretty handy, isn't it? Now, I have this idea about that too. Maybe you've heard me say it before, but... Because I think sometimes when we read that or think about that, we think, well, uh, the resurrected body is kind of like a ghost and just goes through walls. Here, here's what I think about that. I don't think it's that way at all. I don't think it's less real. I think what happens is you become even more real. And so ultimately, your resurrected body is more real than that wall, so you can just go right through it. How's that for a concept? Um, uh, it's that whole... Uh, like it's like when when you see fog have you ever seen a thick wall of fog i've used this illustration with fog and it looks like it's impenetrable but you can go right through the fog because you're more real than the fog i have an idea that that's part of what the resurrection body is like it's just walls don't make it doesn't make any difference you're more real than that the um he he had the ability to uh not be in sight when he didn't want to be pretty handy deal huh but you didn't want to talk to somebody that would be handy wouldn't it well You'd be like one of the little kids and stick your head behind the couch with your butt hanging out and think nobody can see it. That's what we got right now. <laughs> and if anybody is ever hiding you from that way, give them the respect of not pointing that out. <laughs> well, I don't know where they are. <laughs> and he ascended uh, into heaven in his resurrected body. So, uh, and, and that's the body that we get. Pretty cool stuff. When you think about it, I get pretty excited about that. Um, so, uh, so we have that happen. The news of the resurrection has spread uh, throughout the world over the last 2,000 years, and 
the resurrected Jesus has proved his presence to people in every generation. He still does. He still lets us know he's here, he's with us, he's for us, he's got us. All those things have taken place from the time that it happened. Now, now Jesus, as we have discussed and as we sort of get to the end of this book, fully God and fully man entered the world. He paid the price for our sin uh, and provided a way for us uh, to restore and have everlasting relationship with the perfect and holy God. He did that. Um, through the events of his ministry and the crucifixion and the resurrection. And in that same time, he has inaugurated the kingdom of God. And when he comes back, he's going to set everything right. So we're in this tension that we talk about all the time the, of the now and the not yet, or the already and the not yet. Um, the, the kingdom is here in part, not fully here. He's going to, it's going to come fully when he comes back. We live in this tension. And, and we're to ask in faith for all the things that the, the kingdom promises when it's fully here now, and, and we get a taste of what's to come. Paul is going to go on and talk about this in 1 Corinthians 15. And I want to read, uh, I know this for a little more scripture, but I want to read verses 12 through 28. And so if you have any questions, I, I read as well as Matthew 28, a big chunk of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to you today. But in verses 12 through 28, it says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. See, there's that little first fruits thing. I told you it was fulfilling the early first fruits festival. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as an Adam all die, right? Because they, he sinned. We all are in sin, have sinned, and under the penalty of sin, which is death. So in Christ, all will be made alive. He's the way back out. It's in Christ. But each in his own turn. I love this. Christ, the first fruits. There it is again. He had to go first. Then, when he comes, those who belong to him. And then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. That's the, he, he, Paul wraps up, he gives you the whole summary of the king. Jesus the first fruits had to go through what he did. He's coming back. When he does, we get caught up to him. We get, we get, that, we get that new resurrected body too. And then there's a period of time where he reigns here and sets everything straight. And then when everything is made right and death is finally defeated once and for all, no more death, he hands everything back to God the way it was always intended to be from the beginning. All fixed. All back. This time a kingdom of people who choose and have chosen to worship him. They've made the choice. Not forced upon them. Not that there's no other options. They've chosen in Christ and that's what happens so 
Knowing that, what do we do? And that's where Matthew 28, 18 through 20 comes in. Uh, a few verses called, you probably know them as the Great Commission. And it says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All authority uh, is, is the kingdom of God, God's rule and reign. It's here already. And at this point in time, it exists alongside cultures and societies and people are given the opportunity to choose his kingdom during this time kingdom's here we can choose or we can choose not the choice is ours he doesn't force it on anybody at this time it's not forced on anyone we're to make disciples um as we've read throughout the book of matthew um we're as servants who have been left in charge of the our lord's possessions while he's away and and then when he returns See, he's going to, at that point, impose righteousness uh, on the whole world, um, which is good for everybody who's chosen to follow him and not so good for the people who didn't. Um, and, and so, but until then, the kingdom is here, but it's, it's sort of hidden from plain sight, but it's, it's available to everyone whose eyes are open by faith, and they can see it because it's here, just like you can see it, because your eyes have been opened by faith, and you know that the kingdom is here upon you and, and uh, in some form, but not yet fully here. And, and while we wait, we're to be his, his eyes, his ears, his hands, his feet, his mouth, uh, telling and showing people that the kingdom is here now. Um, this message is for all nations. The message of the kingdom of God cuts across all languages, boundaries, and societies. And one of the things we have to be aware of, um, because of the way we sort of are, in America, and I love America, don't hear me wrong, but we sometimes have an idea that, that our picture of the church is the way the church is, and, and um, it's really not. <laughs> it's our picture of the church, and that's fine, but the church doesn't look like this in most of the rest of the world. It looks different, and it's good. It just looks different. And if you, what does that mean? Um, there's a lot of countries that have lots of churches that don't have big buildings and all the trick stuff, and they're every bit of church as this church or any other church. Um, I think one of the things we always have to be thinking about is we have to be careful that we don't limit our definition of church. Because if church is only that place that we go to on Sundays, we miss the New Testament revelation of what church is. So certainly that's, it's valid, I think, uh, this expression of church. But, you know, church is, is as simple as, uh, as three or four people getting together and talking about the Lord in a restaurant. I think that's church. I don't know what you think that is, but to me, that's church. Um, um, there are some people who may never walk into an established place like that, but who... Uh, see, because I think we, if we rethink this, our definition... And I'm, I'm probably going to talk about this at some point. That, that um, uh, many of you either are probably already in other little churches, or you, you should start some, that don't look anything like what established church looks like, but just looks like having a few people together and eating and talking about Jesus. And, and it could be a bunch of people that don't even know Jesus yet who just like you and happen to like to eat. I know a lot of people like that. <laughs> and you're happy to feed them, and when the conversation comes up, you talk about Jesus. So for some people, that might be church for them. And that's, I think, a totally legitimate place if they come to Christ. The, the goal doesn't need to be that they have to come to an established church. It just means we have to get them into the kingdom. Now, they need fellowship, 
And I think that there are some churches where that can really happen, and so it could be an end result, but it may not have to be. Anyway, these are just some random thoughts I'm tossing out there. Um, we're to teach them to observe all that he's commanded us. We're, ultimately, we live this life out in a way that it should impact other people and, and encourage them to live the kind of life that Jesus lived. Um, none of us have it all together, but we need to be doing the best we can. And uh, I'm with you always, he says. What great news. He, he doesn't leave us his task and say, okay, I'll see you later. He's still with us, still here, still empowering us, still loving us, leading us, guiding us. His presence is with us. He's with us always. And that's the gospel of Matthew. And uh, I hope that you know it a little better now than you did 28 weeks ago and uh, that it will continue to impact your life along the way. Amen? Amen. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I have anybody upstairs to turn the video off. Um, but someone is heading up there to do that now. Thank you. If you've been watching my video, God bless you. And um, up in Williston, they'll pray for you up there. Uh, we'll be happy to pray for you if you want to email us or write us. But we're going to pray for the group and say good night to you. If you have prayer requests, please pass them up to me. And uh, I will pray for you.